Well, thank you. What a warm welcome and what a joy to be with you today. I am, uh, I, I have to just lay it out there. I, I speak in 52 churches probably a year, a lot more now when you count the weekday churches I go to occasionally. I still think you have the best music in the country. Just absolutely the best music in the country. It's tight, it's performed beautifully, the voices are magnificent, and whoever that lady was singing, I want her name, address, I'm gonna make every effort to get her. If she didn't have CDs, I want her music. Pastor, it's a joy to be back. Thank you for the privilege. This is considered by me as one of the highlights of my ministry to have the opportunity to biannually, I guess is the way you say that, uh, come and speak. Today, uh, the Lord began to speak to me this morning at 2.30. Uh, he woke me. And he spoke to me. He's been doing that a lot lately. I wish he'd find a better time to do it. <laughs> I find myself uh, typically awake by 3 o'clock. My little cocker, he's not a cocker spaniel, he's a King Charles spaniel, wakes me sometimes with his exuberance for various reasons. He loves to go outside for various reasons. But this morning he crawled up in my lap and was very quiet and very reserved. I think he actually sensed the Lord was speaking to me and he didn't want to distract me. I wrote down everything God spoke to me and it's literally a five-hour meditation with the Lord that I want to share with you in 40 minutes or so. And to do that, I'm actually forfeiting what is one of the most important parts of any of my presentations ministerially, and that is music. And Kathy Wampler normally sings right now, and she and I just communed a moment together, and she forfeits her song this morning. She's a very kind woman, been with me 31 years, she and her husband, Kathy, would you help me quickly? And let's, uh, let me mention this because I don't know how I'm going to end the service this morning. And I don't want to be uh, distracted with the promotion of something we have that I'd like very much for you to know about. We have a, a presentation of my personal story of tragedy to triumph out of the injury in Vietnam and recovery on DVD. It's available to you. We have a book called Scar, which is autobiography, updated to through today where I'm at 75 years old. I'm still contracting with the Department of Defense. They're sending me all over the world to our troops. And I'm very excited to tell you it's a ministry that is very up to date. I just came from Fort Polk a few days ago for a huge ball, army ball, and the opportunity to share my faith in Christ with hundreds and hundreds of our troops. That book is very, very exciting to read. Another book called War and Recovery, which is a compilation of short stories from the battlefield to the mission field, God taking our tragedies, turning them into triumphs. And then in order to support our ministry to our warriors, we are very, very active in our work with Department of Defense and resiliency training in a program called Operation Warrior Reconnect. And we have a beautiful new logo and shirt indicating that the warrior with his wife and the two children reconnected. Operation Warrior Reconnect uh, is sponsored 
by a lot of different organizations, but one of the largest income streams is through the sale of these T-shirts, which are advertisements. We have them in both women and men's size. Kathy, thank you for helping me out with that, dear heart. You're a great friend and support. I, I'm going to ask you if you would uh, assist me in something I'm not good at. Uh, I'm not good at notes. I've never, I, I, I guess in looking back in 45, 50 years of ministry, I've used notes maybe three or four times. This morning, the download from the heart of God with what I want to speak to you requires me to use notes. So I'm going to do a first in that. I'm also going to do another first on this first. I'm going to try to stand the entire time. I'm not good at standing. In 2010, I jumped out of a helicopter in Iraq, and I broke six vertebrae when I hit wrong. And they put in 12 screws and two rods. I'm an inch taller. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> so I guess if you have short man complex, break your back. <laughs> and, <laughs> but it's been a crazy, crazy world for me in 2021. You have to fight for what you want and fight to keep what you've got. Sometimes you lose it. I fought to get my little sweet wife when I was, <laughs> I was 16, asked her to marry me. She slapped me, she was 13. <laughs> she told me, she said, I'm 13 years old. I said, but you have the body of a 14 year old. She slapped me again. <laughs> that was a little TMI, too much information talking about her body. And I was a typical boy possessed with the urge to merge as you well understand, and she was not. And when we married, uh, a few years later, we were both virgin. And when I tell people that, they're amazed. And 54 years later, still married, but not still virgin, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> I, I have to tell you, I miss her because a few months ago, I lost her. It still hurts. But I protected her from the guy, Allstate Insurance, who wanted to get her in her good, his good hands when I was in Vietnam. <laughs> I got even with him, I buy State Farm Insurance. <laughs> when I was injured, my medic tried to take her. I got even with him when he bent down to hear my mumbling. I bit his ear and told him if he touched her, I'd kill him. I guess he thought I'd choke him with the hose that was in my nose, and he never came back. And then there was the college professor who saw me before my surgeries, I had but one eye, one ear, and one nostril. He figured if I lived, the other guy didn't, and he didn't want to be that other guy, and he left her alone. And the fourth guy came along and made promises I couldn't keep and gave her gifts I couldn't afford, and she ran off with him. I got even with him. I found out his name and where he lives. His name is Jesus. And he took her to his place and he invited me to come to. And whatever means by which I achieve that ride home, heaven is sounding sweeter all the time. And so 2021 was very difficult, the most difficult year of my entire career. I'd go through a thousand Vietnam, shoot me, burn me, stab me, set me on fire, I don't care, but don't take Brenda. But he did. 
And so I have found myself engulfed into the Word of God. I've never in all my life been so intrigued with the Word. I've read the Bible through three complete times this year, and I'm on the fourth time, and I finished the Old Testament this week. I won't be able to finish the whole Bible the fourth time because that years are already passed. And it's not trying to read the Bible through, it's trying to understand it. I've never lusted for the Word of God like I do. And in turn, it pays off. I've never had such an anointing in the pulpit as I've experienced, and I wouldn't trade that for anything. There's some things that you just have to fight for. Some things you stand for whenever you'd rather sit down. And right now, I'm standing when I'd rather sit down, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to lean on this podium and use it for a crutch a little bit because I have determined I'm going to stand through this message. And I'm going to do a movie review on the book of Esther. You've heard of the book of Eli, which is an amazing movie. Well, I have fictitiously made a movie of the story of Esther, and I'm going to give you a movie review of it. And as you watch this movie, you'll discover there's a king named Azure Harris. I call it Azure Hair Is. To remember it. I have to associate things. But his name means quiet, and he's unspeakably wealthy but soft-spoken and has his kingdom in a place called Shushan, which is a river valley known as the Valley of Lilies. All this came to me this morning as I studied it out in five hours. I'm going to condense it into 40 minutes. He was married to a very beautiful woman, Queen Vashti, whose name means beautiful, who lived up to her name and was as ungrateful as she was beautiful. One of the great challenges in this king's life was he's married to a queen that was a beautiful woman, but with a bad attitude. And nothing is worse than a beautiful woman with a bad attitude. In search of another king, the quiet king searched and reached out to a young virgin girl named Esther. You know what her name means? Star. And in the movie, she is the star of the movie. She was one of a very large number of concubines who had been chosen because of her excellent beauty, and she'd be the star of the show. She had an uncle named Mordecai. Remember him? Everybody remembers Mordecai, whose name means, did you know? Little man. What, a, what an interesting thought. I looked these names up this morning. His name means little man. And he sat outside of a gate to the palace in the Valley of Lilies. And every day a man named Haman, whose name means magnificent, would ride in on his white horse through the gate. But little man who sat at the gate would not bow to the magnificent man and show him obeisance which incensed him. Now I want you to follow this amazing story, a story of a beautiful woman with a bad attitude, a young Jewish girl to star in the show, a magnificent man with an ego bigger than the horse he rode, a little man at the gate that would not bow to him, and a king who spoke softly but carried a big stick. The story continues. The rich and famous Haman the Magnificent was so incensed that little man would not bow to him, he actually built gallows on which to hunt, hang him. At the same time in this valley of lilies in a palace beyond imagination, a humble, quiet king discovered that Haman the Magnificent, to get rid of the little man and the new queen-to-be star, who were both Jews, declared that all Jews 
should be killed so that both would be taken out of his way. When the star of the show, Esther, was told, had told the intentions of Haman the Magnificent, and by chance, and this is really an interesting thing to know, by chance, little man, remember, Mordecai's name was favor, favorably found in the books of historical review by the king, little man and Esther and all the Jews were spared when the star of the show intervened before the king at such a time as this for all the Jews. This is very important. You listen to what I just said. She intervened on behalf of all the Jews. When Esther told the king of Haman's evil plot, he had Haman the Magnificent hanged on the very gallows that were intended for Mordecai, the little man, to be hanged on. As for the king, the star herself, Esther, would become so dear, he would give her half the kingdom if she asked for it. And what did she ask for? Are you ready for this? What did she ask for? Now, he, she could have half the kingdom. And let's see what she asked for. She asked for gallows for all ten of Haman's sons to be hanged on, killing his legacy and his lineage. Don't mess with Esther. You don't want to mess with a Jewish woman that's angry. So what's the moral of the story? He, this is really cool. I hope you liked this as much as I did as I wrote this out this morning. He, who was named the magnificent man, became the little man. And he, that was named the little man, became the magnificent man. The unexpected and unknown star of the show became the queen on the throne, and the beautiful queen on the throne with a bad attitude was dethroned as she was thrown out. <laughs> I like that. If you don't like it, I don't care. I wrote it. <laughs> the humble king, the lily of the valley, continued to speak softly and carry that big stick. What I'm trying to tell you is best illustrated maybe in a personal story from the bank of a river called the Vam Cote in the dark jungle of Vietnam on the border with Cambodia. A handsome young prince named Dave, at least she thought I was, went to war. I kissed her goodbye. I can still taste the salt of her tears on my lips. I can't. And she asked me, she said, Davey, are you coming back? I said, I'll be back without a scar. Why did I say that? I could have just said, I'll be back. <laughs> then I could be governor of California. I'll be back without a scar. Well, I was half right. I came back, but from head to toe, there's not much left of my epidermis that's not scarred. And epidermis is skin, in case you wondered. I remember that day on the bank of the river when I looked down and my left thumb was gone and these three fingers and thumb were hanging by tendons. My face was on my boots and I could look down and I could see my heart beating in my chest. I was on fire at 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit covered in white phosphorus. Went blind in my eye, deaf in my ear. I'm happy to tell you I got my ear back. 
plastic and I love it. It's more fun than the real one. Can you leave your ear and listen to what people say about you when you're gone? I got my hair back. It was blown off of Vietnam. It was also blown off of South Carolina the other day in a high wind. It's embarrassing chasing your hair across a parking lot, then a dog brings it back. I'm telling you, you talk about humbling. That day on the bank of the river, many would say it was the worst day of my life, but it may have been the best day. It's the day I started and learned how to lean on Jesus like never before. Never before. I found that lily of the valley, and I also discovered the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines have a method of discerning your capabilities and losses of normal capabilities in what's called disabilities, and I am rated as disabled. They take every square inch of scar tissue added up. They add that to all things that functioned before that don't now, such as no thumb at all, which was a high disability. That was blown off too. They made that out of my hip. I enjoy telling children, don't suck your hip. <laughs> they don't get it, but I do, and I think I'm the only one that matters in that. My right hand was severed in half. These three fingers and thumb were hanging by tendons, remember? They counted the little finger as less disability than the ring finger, which was more disability than the little finger, and the middle finger, which is very important in American society, <laughs> Mm, has a very high disability, but the index finger has even higher, and the thumb has the highest of all your digits. They added it all up. Put together, no eyelid, no ear, no hair, no face, emotional content, they're considered. All the damage of 50% third degree. You know what they came with? The Veterans Administration rated me at 240% disabled. I'm almost twice and a half not. And the Navy said, oh, you can't be 240% of anything. You can only be 100%. I said, well, where's the justice in that? You pay me 240, right? They said, no, you only get paid for 100. But they said, you're not only 100%, you're permanently and totally disabled and unemployable. Well, let's look at that a minute. What's this thing right here? What do you call that? Microphone. They add up all the disabilities of a hand that was really rated very high in disability collectively. Watch here. It's a mic stand. <laughs> look here, the only finger that works, it's a preaching finger. Let's see how right and how wrong they were. You give a man a preaching finger, a microphone stand, and a microphone in the anointing of the Holy Ghost, and he's called an evangelist. I have a job. I'm employable. <laughs> you see, I'm not going to let the world define me. Don't let the world give you a name that's not you. You're not defined by the world. You're not even defined by a good doctor, and I love good doctors. Don't be defined by anybody but he who is defined by himself as the great I am. <laughs> Come on, give it up for Jesus. He is designed to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves by giving us a name we can live up to. And I'm going to tell you, I love the name Esther. Because see, here's a little girl, a little Jewish girl, never dreamed she could be the queen, never thought in a million years 
She would be the intervention. She would be the intercession between life and death for the entire Jewish population under King Ahasuerus. Think about it a minute. And it's Mordecai, the little man. If he went by what the world called him, he would have remained a little man. And if he had been fearful of the magnificence of the big man, he would never have stood for righteousness. You see, in the movie, there's what's called at the end, the end credits. So I wrote down the end credits for you. Are you ready? Here they are. Let me get them pulled up here. The end credits, the king is the star herself, Esther. I mean, the queen. God is played by Azure Harris. Our pride is played by Vashti. Our conscience is played by Esther. Our carnal flesh is played by Ham, Haman, now listen, the Agagite. Say Agagite. Very important for the closing of this. You need to hear what I'm about to tell you. I'm going to go back. God is played by King Azuharis. He is also officially known as Xerxes. His son was Artaxerxes. Our pride is played by, remember, Vashti? The beautiful one. Our conscience is played by Haman. Uh, pardon me. Our conscience is played by Esther. Our carnal flesh is played by Haman. Our righteousness, our born-again spirit, is played by Mordecai, who would stand for what was right. Are you following me? So the question, is this my final answer to the story of Esther? Not quite, but I'm going to show you what is. In the lineage of Haman, the Agagite, named Agag was the king of the Amalekites. Say Amalekites. Do you remember them in the Old Testament when Samuel told Saul, go out and you kill. Boy, this is devastating. This is a... Don't mess with Samuel either. Now, you'll see even more so in a moment. He told Saul, go and kill all of the Amalekites, the wife, the children, the pregnant women, the babies, the men, all the warriors. Kill the cattle, the sheep. You kill the camels. You kill everything. Leave nothing. Erase their memory, the Bible shows, from the face of the earth. So Samuel went to battle. Do you remember this story? He fights and comes back, and Samuel's watching, and there's a great cloud of dust out there, and he sees. He, don't know who's, he doesn't know who's coming. Maybe it's, the, maybe it's the Amalekites that are coming. Maybe they're coming in revenge for the battle that they just won against Saul. But as they got closer, he saw it was Saul leading the way, and Saul walks up, and Samuel said, how did it go? And he said, it went great. We did some serious kicking of Amalekite backsides. We did it. And Samuel says, what's that noise I hear in the background? Sounds like cattle and sheep, oxen lowing. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, let me tell you, Samuel, we killed everything. But the people, 
said, let's don't kill the cattle. Let's give God a barbecue he'll never forget with all Amalekite grade A beef instead of our skinny little Israeli beef. Our, our beef are bad. Let's give him something really good. Are you following me? Please stay close to what I'm saying because this has a culmination that is devastating if you miss it. Samuel said, in other words, you kept some of this alive. He said, better than that, not only will we give God a burnt offering and sacrifice like he's never had before, I kept the king of the Amalekites alive himself, King Agag. And he said, bring him to me. And Agag came up, and this guy came up to Samuel. Peace, bro. Peace. That's what he said, peace. And the man who came in peace stood before a righteously indignant Samuel who pulled out the sword. And in slices of that sword, he literally disassembled Agag and stacked his parts in the middle of the road. The man who came in peace left in pieces. You see, there's something about this Amalekite you need to know. Amalek of the Amalekites killed off the weak, the lame, the halt, the weary, the blind, the deaf, the children, the elderly, as they were escaping from Pharaoh in the largest escape in Israeli history that is to this day still remembered in Passover. That moment when Amalekites attacked the children of Israel, listen, from the rear, he set an ambush until the army was passed, the strong were passed, the healthy were passed, and he attacked from the rear, rear the most vulnerable of the family of God, the children of God. And God was so incensed, he said, I want every last Amalekite on the earth and everything associated with them killed and destroyed. I want to erase their memory. Saul, go do it. And he brought back King Agag. And if you remember the story of David, when he became king, there stood before him a young man that came from the battlefield, and David asked him, how went the battle? And the man did not tell him who he was when he said, who are you? He said, what he was, not who he was. He said, I am an Amalekite, and King Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. And David said, how do you know that? Listen to what he said. I stood upon him, and I took his crown. And I killed him because I knew that he could not live after he had fallen. If you're not following me, let me put it together for you. Who in your life is your biggest enemy? Not even the devil. Not that neighbor you don't like or that family member that constantly torments you. Your biggest enemy is yourself called the flesh. Say it, the flesh. Let me hear it again, the flesh. Who attacks you from the rear when you are most vulnerable? The flesh. Who gives you excuses whenever you've done well and now you have the right to do wrong? I lost 20 pounds, so I'm going to eat 10 
gallons of bluebell ice cream to celebrate. Who makes more promises to you that are broken and justified in doing so than your flesh? What does the Bible say is, the, is that enmity against the Spirit of God? The flesh is the biggest enemy you'll ever face. It's yourself. You have no idea the times I'm sitting in front of a mirror and I've hated the looks of the man that's talking to you and you have no idea the joy I have had in five years ago when I have a nose built and I'm so proud of it. It's a boy. I have eyelids again, and I have lips. Oh, they're not normal, but they're closer to normal so much so I don't scare children when I walk through an airport anymore, unless I choose to. <laughs> ah, you little snot. Then it's fun to watch them. <laughs> Mama, I'm having fun with you. Oh, but my biggest enemy's been my flesh. No one lies to me like I can. No one believes a lie that's told to me like my own and I believe it, and I know better. Am I different from you? So here's the story as it comes down. That flesh, that mighty, magnificent man named Haman. If you ever want to live a Christian life successfully, you're going to have to hang him on the gallows. And then kill all these kids. I'm not telling you to go kill your neighbor and all these kids. What I'm telling you is, if you don't, now listen to me because I'm going to say it once and I'm going to say it clearly. This is the story as it boils down to a simple line. If you don't destroy the works of the flesh, the works of the flesh will destroy you. And at the worst and most inopportune time, I could use a little hand clap about right there. I need a little support. So here's how it came down for Brother Dave talking to you. So I'm going to make it personal because I feel very vulnerable today with notes and all. I'm not used to that. In 1969, on the bank of that river, I took a hit that would make me or break me. I lost my hope when I looked in the mirror for the first time in Japan when they held a mirror over my face and I saw what was left, which was nothing. What was left was swollen to the width of my shoulder. What was on the other side was skull. And I remembered that promise I mentioned to you. I'll be back without a scar. And I knew I had, a, I had broken that promise. And when I looked in that mirror, I never wanted my sweet, darling, beautiful wife to ever see what I had become. I didn't see a burned man. I saw a broken promise. My wife and I have laughed on several occasions that the only promise I ever made to her that I broke was the one that I'd come, with, come home without a scar and the only promise I ever broke that she never forgave me for was that I came home scarred. You say, what? She never forgave you? She never forgave me because she never judged me to start with. You see, if you don't judge to start with, how can you condemn? If you don't condemn, how, how, how can you forgive what you don't judge or condemn? So she never had to forgive me. And the last words she spoke to me, the last words that passed her lips were, Oh, Davy, 
I love you so. I'll never forget it. And here's the lesson I've learned in life. Love cannot end well. It'll always end in pain. In fact, if you take it to that maximum synergy of marriage, even your vows precondition you for a terrible ending. Until death do us part. So what happens when you come to that point in your life that you have lost something very dear and very important to you? Do you give up? Do you quit? Do you listen to that carnal spirit that says, you've paid the ultimate price you'll ever pay. You've lost more than you can ever regain, so you might as well throw in the towel. No. When Mordecai knew that if he failed and if Esther failed, all the Jewry, all of the Jews would die. And that evil spirit of Amalek, that evil flesh that we battle would overcome and take us. There's never, listen to these words, there's never an end to this battle in this life until death do us part. We will fight this battle till we die. There is no victory to be won till death because the Bible clearly shows us that it is not until we die that we enter in and he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I worry about that. When you're burned, you don't want to be well done. You'd rather be medium, medium rare. Well done. So my question is, what are you going to do with what's left? Are you willing to fight for what you believe in to the last nth degree? Are you willing to stand for what you know is right when it hurts and you'd rather quit whenever you see no hope? I want to tell you, that tender conscience of yours, let that Esther star in the role of your life. Let her stand before God and intercede for your everlasting soul. Let that precious Precious conscience, the gift of God that was given to us that was never given to plant life or animal life. They have no conscience. He trusted us with the knowledge of right and wrong, good and evil. Listen to your conscience. Stand for what's right. And in this day of 2022, make a vow to take your worst tragedy and instead of throwing in the towel, turn it into your greatest triumph. Amen. <laughs> well, for an unpracticed and very awkward delivery of what God gave me this morning, I hope you got my message. I would like to close with a little video that shows you my triumph over tragedy where God has allowed me to work with our active duty troops around the world. Some of you in the military may recognize some of the pictures of downrange that are classified, and I'm not able, I'm not permitted to, I guess I could now, but I've never even asked. I just leave, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, they say. I leave some things alone, but you'll see some of these pictures that are unidentified, but if you've been downrange, you'll know where they are. You'll also see the ranches that God inspired me to build for our troops where they could come and have a safe place, a place away from the installations and institutions and hospitals and hotel ballrooms where they could have a place to get along with God. You'll also see the most difficult thing I've ever been asked to do for my country, and it's not take a bullet, 
Let's not blow a hand grenade beside my head by a sniper's lucky shot. The most difficult thing I've ever been asked to do for my country is to grind away the hours at 21,000 feet in a C-130 with a floor full of what we call caskets, transfer cases covered in beautiful flags, wondering if those that fell in valor that day on the battlefield in those caskets, was there a, another Billy Graham to be? Was there another nurse that would be another Mother Teresa? Who knows? The price of freedom can never be determined in this life, but in eternity we'll understand. The hardest thing I've ever done was to sit there and cry for those that were lost and I didn't even know their names. In this little video called The Angel Flight Home, I hope it will touch your heart and you'll see my vision for my country, for my God to save this great nation from the peril it's headed down the road toward without intervention. If we don't get our conscience back, if there's no Esther to star in the movie, we're forever lost in such a time as this. Would you roll that video?
Ladies and gentlemen, it's a great cost that we have our freedom we enjoy in this room today. A great cost. They're from the days of the Amalekites to the Agagites, Herod, Haman, even Hitler. The attempt to stamp out all the Jews continues. But the flesh that's represented has to be stamped out or it will destroy us as a nation without a conscience. And we must be as vigilant to overcome the flesh as the flesh is vigilant to overcome us. Have I made myself clear today? Have I? I hope to God. I hope so. There's going to be an offering taken for our ministry, and I know that, but I want you to know I'm not getting that money. <laughs> I'm retired from the Navy. I'm retired on Social Security, and the opportunity to take from the ministry and a salary is sometimes yes and most times no. Depends on the damage done by that last storm to my house, which some of you might remember, a little tornado flew right over top of our house. I'm glad to tell you it's all finished, repaired, and last week was the last piece of furniture put back in my home. I'm happy. <laughs> it's behind me. It's over. <laughs> but I do want you to understand that when you give what you're giving to, we have a session coming up soon. It's married couples coming, and DOD and our veterans are all, all attending. I have DEA agents coming. I have the strangest combination of service members and people serving through various agencies of our government coming to our marriage restoration session. I need your help. It's a $30,000 bill, and I don't have the money to pay it yet, but I'm going to. I've never missed a session without paying for them. So thank you for your support on that. I'm Dave Reaver, and I approve of this message. Thank you. <laughs>